Today's podcast is brought to you by Ryan, a leading global tax service and software provider that helps companies manage and minimize property taxes from acquisition to disposition and all points in between. As the firm with the most local market property tax professionals across the country, Ryan has experience in nearly every jurisdiction, unmatched by any other national, regional, or local provider. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you? I am well. I'm here in it's a rainy day currently. When we, at the moment that we're recording, it's currently raining in Brooklyn, so it's a little, it's a little, uh, a little gray and rainy right now. But overall, things are all right. How how are things in your part of the world? Hey, April showers, May flowers, whatever they say, right? I mean that that's good stuff. I, yeah. I like rain actually. So yeah, it's good. It's a it's a good time of year, um, and it's uh, even better today because you have a guest on the show, right? That's correct. Um, for this week's episode, I we, we have welcome. I'm happy to bring in uh, Bill Hill, who is the vice chairman of the Federal Investor Services Group with Newmark. Hi, Bill. How are you? Hi, hey, David, Eric. Great to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the program. One of the things that I thought, you know, probably the best place to start is if you could just um, tell us a bit about this, about the Federal Investor Services Group with Newmark, your role with the company, your background, and and, and just kind of give us a little lay of the land for what this, for, for what that means. Sure, sure. Um, definitely explain what I do. It's a niche practice within commercial real estate. But, you know, we're a growing team here at Newmark, and we advise and partner with institutions investors, um, owners, and developers across the nations. Uh, David, our clients are looking to usually lease to or retain the federal government in their properties, but we also help our clients acquire and sell assets that are are leased to the government. Um, As you can imagine, (laughs) mining through not only the the politics of the government, but also being skilled in the, the, the nuances of federal government procurement process Mm-hmm. It helps us differentiate ourselves from some of our private sector brethren, but also helps to gla- guide our clients um, in and out of difficult federal leasing and sales transactions. So simply put, we help our clients, again, uh, lease to or retain the federal government or acquire or dispose of assets with federal government tenancy. And this is a new, um, this is not not new for you. You've been doing this for a while, but but you are new to Newmark. Is that correct? I'm new to, I'm two months in to Newmark. Um, and, and, and those two months been able to meet a lot of our colleagues across the platform. And, um, you know, we've made a, a good amount of progress in just two months. Um, not much sleep, but I, I can sleep <laughs> later. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess just to start with some of that, that, I mean, this is something that, you know, in my career, we've ran about from time to time, but not very often. And and you you are the first person that we brought on the podcast who specializes in this, in this. So there's a lot that I think would be interesting for the the audience to hear. And you know, one of those pieces, I guess, is like that complexity of of working with government as a tenant, government who has their own processes. How is that different from um, you know doing like a standard kind of office lease? Yeah, sure. I guess first, 
they let's frame what we're talking about the the, the footprint here. GSA is in 11 regions across the nation. Um, they're sitting currently in a little, a tad bit under 8,000 leases, but we're, we're talking about 2,000 communities that, you know, goes well beyond where, right. where, where I sit here in DC. Um, but, you know, the total, we're just looking at GSA, you know, 185, a bit, a tad bit under, some of the census leases are rolling off. 185 million square feet of, of, of space. And this is, again, privately owned, uh, you know, the private lease inventory. What, what I'm not including here, you know, are many DOD leases, um, veterans, VA leases, as well as a few other federal leases of agencies with independent leasing authority. So we're talking just a wide swath of what folks typically look at or consider when they're thinking about the lease inventory in the nation and the federal government. Right. And we think about, you know, the, the federally owned buildings there, there's right. a great deal of those too, but we're just tackling here, addressing the, the private owned portion of that. Um, now to your question about the, the process and what makes it different, you know, government has a procurement process. So before you can even get to the lease, or even when you have a lease in your building, before you can renew that lease, you have to go through a government procurement process. So um, there's certain government etiquette you follow. Um, there's a way to, to coordinate the interaction with the government as well as to respond to it. Um, but what we do, um, we act as a, a, a translator of sort for, for our client to make sure that their fiduciary interests are maintained, but also accurately represented in that procurement. Again, conveyed to the government in a way that's acceptable to the government and checks all of their boxes. And again, I think, you know, it's important that you could kind of give us the, the overall lay of the land there, because I think like the natural response to think of oh, federal government is like, you're talking about DC, but you're not talking about right. DC. You're talking about the entire country. You're talking about regional EPA offices or no offices or, yeah. you yeah. know, or, you know, the whole alphabet soup of agencies that just might be taking either a building or a floor or whatever. And this is all over the country. You, you hit it right, right on the head there. I mean, there's also a lot of satellite offices or all the, the, the small USDA offices or, you know, in the census years, you know, you balloon up, the, the lease inventory balloons up from all those census leases. Talking about all of that. I mean, D.C. contributes a, a you know, great amount of the federal inventory, but the leasing inventory, but we're talking about a quarter of the nation's inventory versus more than that. I mean, it talks between 25 to 30% of that, but, you know, almost 70% of that by default <laughs> is outside of the, the DC area. So um, there are different regions where there are more, le more leases than, than others, but, you know, there's a healthy amount all around the country. And so throughout the pandemic, having government as a tenant how has that been is there any has there been real differences to having them as a tenant versus like another kind of occupier yes I mean, therein lies the the value of of not just government credit but government tenancy these gsa leases they're they're not subject to force majeure so you know as long as you know our clients the the, the investor ownership community kept the buildings open, they received rent. Um, you, you can imagine, just, I just told you that the numbers, the scale of the government leases, 
if you had had a hole in the nation of those leases, you know, either vacating or not paying rent to the to the private sector, what that would have done to our economy. But you know, the government was able to uh, to uh, withhold or maintain uh, those leasehold interests and their obligations to pay rent therein, and um, that that was a a huge huge that was a huge uh, lift to the to the economy during that period of of of, uh, of COVID unrest. And were they, was there any difference in the way that they were like work from home versus in person? Was that any different or, or was it, it didn't matter. They were just paying their, their rents, whether or not they were sending people back, literally sending people back or not. Right. I mean, again, you have to frame this under the, the, the concept of how the government was already working from home or teleworking. I, I say GSA a lot and government interchangeably, you know, GSA is, by all intents and purposes, the you know asset and property management to the to the government, right? But GSA was leading the the charge there. Uh, they were working from home or teleworking at a higher clip than a lot of other agencies. Hmm. Um, there were still you know the government still had a, a pretty I'd say advanced teleworking practice or policies within different agencies, but that. Depending on you know the the mission of that agency, the criticality of the the level of uh, security, what folks were working on, if those were protected, um, you know, uh, top top secret, etc. Um, that depended on how those agencies work from home. Um, even in the midst of you know, or during the peaks of uh, COVID throughout you know 2020, and currently um, there were some agencies that were still going to work. Um, as they were, be, just because their missions depended on them being in the in their seats. So um, I, I think that's changed, or I, I know that's changed a bit. Eventually, you know, kind of what we're we're talking about here, where we're, where we're going. You know, some of these work sites that haven't been open as they were before previously, they will need to reopen. Um, the government's working now. To understand how they'll repatriate these offices and re-enter the offices, just as the private sector is, um, I think the private and, and public sector would need to factor in, considering you know a little bit more flexibility when it comes to remote work going forward. Um, but you know the the thought that the government's going to eventually be completely work from from home is uh, just just like the private sector. I think that's far from reality. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we're already seeing a bunch of companies who even said a few months ago that when we're, you know, we don't know when we're coming back or we're not going to come back until 20, you know, later in the year or maybe early next year. And now suddenly are saying in a few months, and I can only imagine on the government side, it's going to be the same, if not more accelerated, um, just, yeah, for the, yeah, well, because of the, the nature, like you're talking about the security, the nature of the jobs, the, and the nature of the agencies, it just doesn't seem like we're going to have a, it just seems, it seems strange in theory to think about having a work from home government. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing too. And we can talk a little bit about some of the, the, you know, Biden's initiatives and mm. you know, some of the agent, agencies in favor um, and where the activity might lie. You know, look at our, our crystal ball here, David. But, you know, as these agencies' missions grow, or really as, as they evolve with this administration's initiatives, 
you know, so were their real estate needs. Those will, you know, also need to change. So growing in some cases, contracting in others, you know, but, you know, our, the question now is how will that look? In the short term, from us, from our, you know, as commercial real estate professionals, uh, we believe this would be a hybrid solution. And, the, you know, we're encouraged by the fact that there will be activity. Um, part of what we do is, you know, find solutions as we mine through these trends or different uh, places the market is below and above equilibrium, but activity, you know, we don't, we don't like a stagnant market. <laughs> we, we love activity. Um, but again, we, we, we think the most likely solution is some hybrid solution, but you also need to layer in those variables of such as the agency or the user groups you're, that you're reopening, um, how they reopen and, and what their missions are. Yeah. So you just alluded to what was going to be my next question, which is, okay, so now we are, we have a, a different government than we had a year ago. We have Democrats in control of the presidency, in both houses of Congress. We have a pretty audacious, ambitious um, jobs plan that, that Congress is looking at. What kind of implications does, for, I guess for a two, sort of two-part question, one, does democratic or you know even just unified control in and of itself have any implications for real estate? And then secondly, does, does this potential jobs plan have implications for for what you what we could see in terms of demand going forward from like the federal government for for real estate yeah great question i mean it's really two parts in, in way in how i analyze that um from you know democrat versus republican i always say in, you know in this dc area we're 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 in the sport of politics and I mean, the, the, the best lens to look at this is through a purple one, you know, not a red or a blue, um, but you, you spoke to alignment. And when you have full alignment of, of Congress, as well as the presidency, no matter who's been in the office, you know, red or blue, charting back to, uh, you know, Great, Great Depression, post-Great Depression, you've had an average growth of a little bit higher than 10% average when you have full alignment. Um, and that's, you know, that's, you know, federal budget growth, um, which, which leads to, you know, leasing activity. Again, talking about how these, the agencies, you know, as, as they evolve, as they grow, they, they need more space. So um, that's what the numbers say. Looking here now at the Biden administration priorities and, and there's seven, the first is COVID, obviously in the response to that, I think everyone, can agree we're, we're, we're I think we're we're tracking uh, we're progressing admirably people sit on different sides of that but COVID second is climate um, racial equity and again that's it's not just you know on paper kumbaya we shall overcome that's important too but we're talking about criminal justice reform healthcare access um, fair housing small business there's another one oh uh, restoring tribal sovereignty, which mm. I think is probably one of the most interesting, intriguing stories we have here. But Secretary of the Interior, the first, the first Indigenous Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. I mean, if that doesn't become a Netflix special, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what will in, in this administration. Um, but so th- that's racial equity. Then you move down to the fourth um, uh, economy. Um, you know that you, as you talked about the infrastructure bill and, and things of that nature. Uh, healthcare, immigration, and the last is restoring America's standing globally. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, what, what it's, I mean, those are initiatives. I mean, part of what we do to the, the mining of the politics and the process and how that, you know, making our clients a little bit more or better uh, in how they view the government, how they move is, what does that mean from an agency standpoint? So, I mean, you look at, you know, we talked about, you know, HHS, for instance, I mean, their, their mission is ever-changing. And if, if, if we had an MVP agency, this might be it. You know, Xavier Becara is, you know, and I'm talking about some of the appointees. Some of these folks haven't been confirmed, but we're looking at, you know, this, these agencies in favor or the ones to watch and monitor. And that's one I, I mentioned, uh, Secretary Holland and her charge. It's not just, you know, the interior is this, they, they have a multifaceted role, not just the, our parks, but also they tie into some of our, our climate uh, initiatives or the climate initiatives that America has undertaken, as well as Michael Reagan from the EPA. So, I mean, these, these folks are tasked with not only charting their agency, but also, you know, how they coalesce with the priorities and from what, how we look at this, what that means for future activity in that agency. Immigration is kind of one of the, the, the big tickets that um, our last administration ran under and going forward, it's, you know, it's including these first couple of months, it's not going to leave the news. The first Hispanic secretary there, Alejandro Mayorkas, um, you know, how does CBP change? Um, how does citizenship and immigration services? There are a lot of CIS offices around the nation that are more welcoming. You know, what does that do to the footprint of that agency? That's you know, when I when I watch the news, and I have to be guarded of how much news I'm watching these days, <laughs> but when I'm watching the news, that's what I'm listening for. Um, and then, you know, from from that, from the policy to real estate, it's usually, you know, at least 18 months for we see some movement there, how oh, these policies really uh, turn into, you know, how they translate to the government's needs and needs analysis and their needs assessment, what space they really need. Huh, that's really interesting. So there, so there's, so you look now, and you follow stuff now, and you follow what they're saying now. But like the timeline is like eighteen months for when the implications may actually hit uh, on on the. And, and yeah, exactly. And we're talking about the government here too. Yeah. So right, of I mean, course. So the, the beauty of the fast. <laughs> exactly, which you know, which also is kind of the beauty of for the for the American economy. I mean, can you imagine if the the government weren't a, weren't the Titanic and Know, some small sailboat and they were able to just drop on a dime make the you know these quick decisions i mean for the for the good and the bad i think that really affects us and swings a little bit more than we need our government to uh to, to react even looking at how you've that, that last objective restoring america's global standing i, I look at uh, intelligence and in state department is kind of being in that in that area there and what are they going to do we, we saw you know, the intelligence community, I'm not sure if they really shrunk on paper, but at least in figure and in in concept under the last administration, how, how the intelligence community was viewed. Again, my, my job isn't to say whether right or wrong, just to look at where we are and how that tracks. But I definitely think now they'll be more in favor and by the initiative, you think that, uh, you know, Avril Haynes and Anthony Blinken, intelligence and state, they, they're going to have 
the work cut out to uh, to, to to minus our, our our charge there. Again, I try not to look t- at the news too much. <laughs> there was a I get these notifications that I'm sure you two do all the time. I got a notification not too uh, long before this this started <laughs> about uh, what was it Microsoft? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on their other company, but just suffered another hack. And uh, DOD was saying that my words, not theirs, that it was somewhat of an innocuous hack. That's, I mean, I think about one of the more funded agencies going into this. I mean, they're technically a part of DHS, but they have uh, a bit of independence. Uh, CISA, which is cyber uh, cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. You know, CISA will. I, I. This is me personal. I think that our our current war is being fought through cyber. I mean, there we have a lot of our trusted and and you know, from for me, greatly respected and admired you know, soldiers over uh, in different parts of the world. But just as there, there are folks who are fighting for us sitting in these offices, because I think one of the biggest threats right now is through our our, our cybersecurity. I did think it was interesting though one one point you mentioned as sort of a overall backdrop to this, which was the that looking through time that when the government is under control, when, when the government is under control by the same party, that overall, that, that space jet tends to increase. And that's not, that's not just demo, that's not one part of the other. It's just having united control leads to, uh, or has historically led to um, expansion of, of real estate. That's a, that's a pretty interesting finding. Yeah. I mean, expansion of the government. So, yeah. you know, you have anything that spurs economic, Activity. I mean, one of the biggest uh, stimulants therein has been full alignment, you hmm. know, of the of the White House and Congress. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I mean, the stereotype would be that like, oh, Republicans want smaller government and Democrats want bigger government, so it would fluctuate like that. But it doesn't. It sounds like it doesn't fluctuate like that. It sort of more fluctuates on having unified control one way or the other. And if you have a party, if you have the three parties in control, I guess. That sometimes some, that that's what that's what leads to more of a of a stimulative effect here. I think we what we've seen is that Republicans and Democrats like want their own types of government. They want the government yeah, okay. to to be shaped and viewed <laughs> yeah. in the way that they look at it. I mean, right. just I mean, again, taking the politics out of it, looking at the human nature. That's what we all want. So, and that, if you look at you know those stats, the stats track closer to that than they're being. Uh, you know, a partisan view over the size of the government. And again, we're looking over a, a long period of time. So right. it's, it's hard to refute the, uh, the, the, the evidence there. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense though. It's like what you said, the, it, investing in the, the different priorities. So therefore that would make a lot of sense because then, because if something may have been not getting attention, a certain agency or, or, or a new set of priorities that, which, which may require new types of hiring or new types of policies, that's what that that's what can provide some 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 um, stimulus to right to uh, these real estate to eventually like trickling into real estate needs and like right so interesting you know, um, another yeah. key component of that David is we're, you know, we're, we just we jumped to the the work from home and kind of where we are today um, but bef- you know before March of 2020. And really, for almost nine years prior to that, GSA had been focused on increasing space utilization, you know, in, uh, throughout the federal government. Um, and, you know, in six years before that, really six years, 
six years ago from today, um, 2015 is where the, you know, the freeze, the footprint became the rallying point and the main goal of the government and, and the agency. So, you know, so even before COVID hit, you know, GSA was a, a good way through its reprogramming or, you know, some folks in, the, in our business say the densification of its, por- of its portfolio, mm-hmm. um, you know, as were some segments of the private sector. I mean, the law firm groups and the like, they had their own increased utilization movement, putting you know, more bodies in less space. So that's that's a, an important trend to really look at. That's what the real estate community, that's what we're moving towards. So we were in this, you know, more densely w- mode of occupying space. And we're now in, a, in, a, in an area where I don't know if I'm that comfortable, you know, in this COVID environment <laughs> yeah. and, and being so close to you. I mean, I like you, buddy, and you know, you, you know, you're, you're, you're good company here, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be that close to you. That, that's that's where we are. Too. I want to make sure we frame the, right. the conversation around, you know, there 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 are two opposing streams of thought here and how, again, the world, but we're talking GSA will occupy space and. You know, to, to GSA's credit, they, they do have some very, very thinking about this and working on their new workplace strategy and up, updating that document to, uh, to, to, to better inform the policy on how their employees should and, and will re, repatriate the space. I'm saying I, I was never a big fan of the densification. So <laughs> you and me, you and me both. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind. I, I, I understand some of the appeal to like open, you know, open office and layouts and environments and, yeah. and for certain teams. But I think like we kind of like made it too much of a one size fits all approach. And I don't know. I just, I think if, if we come out of this with a little bit more f- flexibility and creativity and hybrid work models, I think that, that could maybe harder, harder to manage that from like a, you know, on a constant basis. But I think from a work perspective, I think it would be better. Yeah. I mean, the, the open, the open plan, you know, is it's, it's something that we'll, we'll have to look at that all, all together. I mean, funny little side note, my, my wife was talking and we were, I don't know what month we were in month two or month seven of of kind of our the the, the COVID world and March seven hundred and seven exactly we 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 looked at each other and she said this open plan concept <laughs> you know <laughs> if we if we had more demising walls here and we can lock the kids off in their own section <laughs> might we might be a little happier so I think everyone for a lot of different reasons looking at this open plan concept a, a little a lot uh, stiffer eye yeah. We miss doors. Doors are nice. Oh man, doors were so <laughs> nice, weren't they? <laughs> that, that that barn door I have just isn't cutting cutting it right now. <laughs> so w- one last point. So it's just taking all of this and okay. So like if you're, you know, if you're a real investor looking, you know, I want to. I'm interested in in real. You know, this is interesting. Government as a tenant sounds interesting. There's some pluses here. Is there a way to like, as an investor, to approach this space to 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 get in and like, like you know, try to you know try to invest in in having a portfolio that that has some balance or strength with with government tenants in it? Yeah, I, I swear we didn't plan this, but that's my first. That's a really good softball, man. You're you know, <laughs> I'm a Detroit Tigers fan. I mean, first thing is, is call call him Bill Hill. But seriously, a couple ways to approach it depending on that. Your asset. I mean, one of the first things we look at is the, the building and would it accommodate 
the government, and I say the government, this isn't a one size fits all. It's many, many different governments and the agencies are different. So, you know, which agencies would, would be a great fit for, for that asset? Um, but, you know, the, again, there's a procurement process um, and, you know, there's, there's a way to respond, but also a way to be a, a bit more proactive and look at what's coming down the pipe and, and, and going after those deals for your, for your assets. So it's, it's basically fitting into her to, you know, call you essentially. This is the, is the answer. <laughs> I don't know, make it up. You know, you leave my number on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as you, as, as they drive down the, now that the William Hill sports bet is, is, is in, in DC and very prominent. I, I get a lot of, you know, texts and pictures that used to be, you know, it was, it was only UK I, you know, friends or family were across the pond. They'll send me the, you know, the pictures or bring the Polaroids back. But now I get those all the time. So may, maybe that'll help with uh, the messaging. You know, you see William Hill there, you, you call call me for your federal real estate needs. <laughs> so was there um, any other points or things that I, that, I, that I didn't ask about that you think would be good for the listeners to, to understand about this space? You know, I think really just how we look at our current environment, our current world, David, um, it is a challenge um, and to a, a lot of, you know, owners of, of federal real estate or folks, owners of real estate in general, I, I think our, our challenge right now is the future opportunity in our space. Um, you know, as, as the government and really as tenants re-examine how they want to re-examine what their workforce needs are and will be, being a person, being a group that can help them with that um, quagmire, help them to, to solve how they're going to use their space or to get them comfortable with maybe a slight reprogramming of how they're using their space or for our clients, how, how we can better assist the government with how it's looking at the space that they're in. Um, I think it's all, there's always an opportunity when you can help you know, folks solve hard problems. And we've seen this, this COVID environment has not been an easy environment in, in any stretch of the imagination. You've been generous with your time, so I appreciate you coming on and, and walking me through some of this stuff and and uh, and explaining how it all works. David, thanks for having me. I really really enjoyed talking. I mean, again, I know the federal leasing world is is you know isn't uh we aren't talking about uh this isn't an ESPN around the horn, but um, I really enjoyed speaking with you and and again any any other follow up questions? I'm, I'm sure you're now all federal leasing experts, but any other, any other questions? I'm happy to talk about this. This is what I talk about all day every day. You can ask my wife. <laughs> and folks, if you can find you, I mean, well, there's the Newmark website. Are there other good ways to, to for folks to find you? Uh, William.Hill at nmrk.com. That's my email. But uh, yeah, the, the website is, is, a, is a great start. Uh, email, email is a, a second. All right. Well, thanks again for thanks again for your time. Thank you. Gentlemen, this was a fantastic podcast. Always great information, David. Um, I'm, Bill, I'm so glad that you joined the show. This was very, very interesting. Something that we have not talked about on the podcast before, as far as I remember, David. Yeah, so this is fantastic. David, of course, thank you for bringing him on the show. Uh, it was a great conversation. And our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Commentary Podcast with David Bodmer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Today's podcast was brought to you by Ryan, liberating our clients from the burden of being overtaxed, freeing their capital to invest, grow, and thrive.